Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> thank you, Pastor John. <clears throat> this is exciting to get to do this. Uh, I know I say that every time. It's still exciting every time. <clears throat> but if you have your Bibles, turn in the book of Acts. I know we've been spending a lot of time in the book of Mark. Um, hopefully we'll get to finish that. Uh, but Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. The Bible says, and they... Now, I want you to denote the plurality of what's happening here in the Scriptures. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship to the breaking of bread. And if you read down a little further, it says, in their homes. So catch this. This is the breaking of bread in their homes and prayers. And so here we have the picture of the early church, the book of Acts, in Acts 2.42. And they being plural. This is not just one individual. This is the corporate church. And I know a lot of times we view Christianity in this singular view of me. We have this one kind of mindset of my relationship with God, my walk with God. What is God saying to me? What is God doing in me? And there's a value to that, but there's no value to that outside of the they. Did you catch that? There is a value to that, but there's no value to that outside of the they because the one-on-one is meant for the they. And there is something that's designed from a triune God who lives in community, who saw man alone and said, it's not good for you to be alone. And so he brought him a helpmate. We see this consistently throughout scriptures. When God establishes his covenant with Abraham, this is a fatherly covenant. This is a covenant that he would be a nation of people You see what's happening here? God is not creating individuals who worship him. God is creating a nation, a group of people who worship him. And so that's where I want to land today. I want to start from that as a launch pad. I want us to take that and go for it. And so if you will, let's pray um, together over this. Let's pray that God would give me uh, the words to say, and let's pray that he would help me get us out here on time so I don't spend too long. Amen? Oh, no? All right, good. All right. Praise God. Well, Lord, we are grateful for your word. God, that it is rich in our lives. God, your word becomes life in us. God, I thank you that, God, you would speak to us who walk through dry places that we're not alone and that you are leading us to another oasis. God, I thank you that you create hunger in us. God, a hunger for you that only you can satisfy. God, stir that hunger deeper in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So to introduce this, I kind of want to start off talking about why small groups fail. I know we're kind of talking about small groups. They have all kinds of different names. I'm not trying to give this a name. Um, You know, I will call it Family Connect, but what is it? I don't know. It's just people getting together and sharing life. Can it be that simple? I I think it can be. And so I don't want to overcomplicate this thing. I don't want to make it too much. But the good news is small groups is not something that's new to Christianity, You don't believe me? Jesus is preaching to 5,000. They're like, oh, we're hungry. Well, let's feed them lunch. The disciples are like, huh? I, I can't. You, we. And the little boy, there's a little boy shows up and says, whatever I have, you can have it, Jesus. And Jesus commands the disciples, he said, break everybody up into small groups. <laughs> when the children of Israel became too much for Moses to manage, what did Jethro tell him? Break them up in small groups. And so throughout the story of the Bible, we've seen this. 
it's just more modern that we've kind of, I guess, start to make a big to-do of it. And we've called it small groups. It's never really probably been called small groups. We just call it that. But the good thing is we have some history of how to evaluate these things and look at it, right? And so I want us to kind of look at four, four easy things to start with on why small groups fail. And this is just my list of what I think. This is not gospel doctrine. This is what I think when I evaluate and what I look at. And I think the, the first reason why they fail is because there's a lack of hunger. And what I mean with this is that we all have hunger within us. We have, we're built with an appetite, both naturally and spiritually. We have an appetite. We long for things. We have this void in us that wants to be filled. And the thing is, is we're like the little kid who snacks all day, and when it comes to dinner time, we're not hungry. And we have taken our lives, and the tendency is to take our lives and fill it with all these little things so we mask the real hunger that we have in our hearts. We fill up our lives with snacks. And that could be a multiple things. It could be Facebook. It could be Instagram. It could be the TV. It, it could be this little hobby we do. Or, but we, want, we fill up our lives with all these little things so that we can mask the real hunger that's going on inside of us. And I think this is the reason why they fail a lot of times because we're not hungry for it. We're not hungry for each other's community. We're not hungry to sit down with one another and break bread, not only the physical bread, but the spiritual bread of life, to discuss the things of Jesus, to have us challenge each other and walk what this means to believe in the Holy Spirit, to believe in God and have the Holy Spirit work in us. We lack a hunger to have our brothers challenge us. You see, when you're hungry, food is amazing. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you've been really hungry and it didn't matter what you ate. It was amazing. See, that's the thing about when you have worked up a good appetite. And Jesus says, blessed are those who have worked up a good appetite. You know why? Because they will be filled. He also says down in, uh, in Luke 53, this is um, Mary's song after she has been told by the angel she's going to have a baby. She goes and meets with Elizabeth and the Holy Spirit just comes in that meeting and she sings this song. And in it she says, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Psalms 107, 9. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Jesus would say, blessed are those who are hungry for you shall be satisfied. So the question I think this morning for us and even what came about I think in our worship time is, church, are we hungry? Yes. Is there a hunger in us? Does our heart stir with a hunger and a longing for the things of God? And yes, sometimes we walk through dry places. You know why we walk through the dry places? Because when you're, hun when you're hungry, food's amazing. And when you've walked in a dryness in your soul and in your spirit, when God shows up in the room, our heart leaps because we've been longing for him and he's there. You see, when our lives were filled with things that occupy the in-between moments, we miss the real moment that God is leading us to. God is creating a hunger within us, within our hearts, 
But you see, the thing is, is our hearts have been revealed in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They went and hid. They ran from God. And see, this is our heart because it's been taken over by a sin nature. And it's when we get hungry, our, our heart isn't to run to God, but it's to run away from God to other things. And so church, how often do we create space and moments to meet with God? How often do we allow God's covering to restore us or do we look to the next event to restore us? I remember as a kid growing up in, in church, uh, youth, groups, youth, youth groups are very event-driven. That's just the nature of them. That's how they work. And as a, as a young kid in the youth ministry, I found myself doing that. I, I, I longed for camp. You know why I wanted camp? Because the whole school year had been dry with God. And I just knew if I could make it to camp, I would get reignited with God. I would get stirred again, and my heart would be longing again, and God would do something great, and I would leave camp on fire for God. And then something would happen. I would start to feel those in-between moments with little things and little longings. And after a while, I wasn't so hungry for God. And after a while, God was far away. And then he would kind of wake me up and I would be like, yeah, you know, I just, I'm not hungry for God anymore. And then youth convention would come around and, oh yeah, if I can just get to youth convention, I, I could have it. And then, then it kind of burned on me where it was like, oh, well, man, if I can just make it to Wednesday night. You see, we jump from these moments to moments and we don't allow God's covering to restore us, we look for the next big thing to restore our relationship with God. And I think that's one reason why these small groups fail because the small groups don't exist to be the next event where you meet God. The small group exists so that we can share life with each other and talk about how we have already met with God. Second reason I believe they fail is because often we look to experts to lead. And I think it's broken in our hearts that when we look at the brokenness of our heart and we see the brokenness of this vessel and we go, God, you can never use a broken vessel. And somehow we think that the only one capable of leading is a Saul, yet God is looking for a David. You know, we have a tendency in church to think that you have to be an expert to lead. God's not looking for experts. He's looking for vessels. He's looking for vessels that can be broken and reshaped. He's not looking for a buffet to feed a, 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 a people, a group of 5,000. He's looking for a little boy's lunch. And you go, well, I don't have enough to lead. Good. God, I'm not educated enough to lead. Good. God, I'm not spiritual enough to lead. Good. God, I don't have everything quite right to lead. Good. You know why? Because there's a great void there for God to fill. The third reason I think they fail is because it becomes another event. It becomes something to do. It becomes a religious duty. Something we just show up to. A task that we can check off. And the other th reason I think it fails is because it doesn't live in seasons. You know, I, I think one of the things that God has just made me passionate about in church is do we create on-ramps and off-ramps for people? 
You know, there's a lot of activities that happen in church, a lot of things that go on just to the nature of church. But do we create in those on-ramps and off-ramps for people to be engaged and relax and engage and relax and engage and relax? And I think a lot of times small groups fail because people get in them and there's no, it's just indefinite. And so these are some pitfalls I would love for us to make sure we look out for. Amen? You see, our hearts are prone to wonder. And in this wondering, we have a tendency to run not to God, but to the next thing, the next event. And this is the brokenness of our heart. But the beauty of it is that God has already supplied the remedy. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. He says this, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit. And I will put within them. Did you catch that? I will put within them. Them. Not you. Them. I will remove a heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And they may walk in my sustenance and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. In Ezekiel, God prophesied this. In Acts 2, he fulfilled this. The Bible says that they were gathered in one accord, with one heart. You know why they could gather in one accord? Because God had given them a oneness of heart. Guys, this is imperative as a church that we have a oneness in our heart. It is imperative as a church if we're going to do anything for the Lord, if he's going to do anything through us, if anything's going to happen in us, then it's got to happen through a heart of oneness. It's got to happen in unity. And this is something that God is doing and he longs to do and he wants to do. And I just believe that small groups becomes a small tool in which that happens. It's not the tool, it's just a small tool. It's a small way in which that happens. But if we're not people of community, then we'll never get there. Amen? Here's some things to think about about the book of Acts. Is one is they hungered for the presence of God. You know, Jesus had been taken away. And he said, if you'll go wait, I'll come. If you go wait, I'll send my comforter. He'll come. God will come and visit you. And so what did they do? They went and waited. Now, how many of you have been like me? After a day, you'd have been like, I got something to do. Nobody, just me. All right, good. I'm in the right crowd because I need help. So for Christmas, my little girl got a bike. And she's funny. She's going down the hill and she's, she goes just a little bit and then hits the brake. And goes a little bit and hits the brake. And goes and hits them. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> She's like, oh, I'm playing red light, green light. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Jesus is having to work on your daddy right now. I'm like, how? I'll just go sit at the bottom of the hill and wait for you. Like, I, I don't know how to do this. I'm like, ah, how to? And she's just, just a little bit. And how many times are we like that with God? We're like, God, come on, hurry up. Hurry up. Hurry up. Hurry up. God, come on. Come on, God, hurry up. And he goes, my plan is perfect, I promise. My plan is just right, I promise. It's good. If you'll just wait on me, we'll do it. 
Now, that's a hard one for me. And so I need people around me who help me wait on the Lord. I need people who can encourage me in that, who will share their stories about how they had to wait on the Lord. And I go, all right, yeah, you're right, you're right, yeah. Yeah, i got to learn to wait on God. Second thing is they were empowered by God for God's purpose. God had stirred a hunger in them, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited on the Lord. When most of us would give up, they waited, and they waited. And they were empowered by God for God's purpose. The third thing is they were sent. The fourth thing we'll see is they opened their homes and their lives. This was a group of people, they didn't just meet in the synagogues, they didn't just meet in church, but if you'll read through the books of Acts, they were constantly in, their, in people's homes. If you'll look at the Gospel of Mark, you'll see that ministry of the church, the ministry of Jesus, happens multiple times in homes. Sir, ma'am, is your home a place where you create moments with God? Is your home a place where you create moments with God, with your kids? with other people? Has your table become an altar or is it just a, pile, it's just a place where junk lands? The fifth thing is they took God seriously. How seriously do you have to take God to go wait in a room all that time? They took God seriously. How serious do you have to take God to stand in front of all the church and be stoned to death because you didn't believe what they said you believed when the Pharisees stoned Stephen? How serious do you have to take God to be stoned for feeding widows and orphans? I mean, I think he took God pretty seriously. And the sixth thing we see is by God's grace, the church was built. Now, one thing that's cool, I will say, that I've really enjoyed being here at Christ Chapel is a lot of you guys are doing this. You're doing it in very simple ways. You're doing it in small ways. I've been invited to a lot of people's houses already. I've been out to, in, to eat with people. I've already got moments scheduled on the calendar to go meet with people. That's just something we do a lot. It's something we've committed our life to do. And I love it. But I'd love to see us become a little more intentional and organized in how we do it. Amen? Amen. And so, here's today. It's, it's, it's 11.05. Can we be done in 15 minutes, you think, with the rest of this, right? Sound good? I know we've got our kids, and I think it's cool that they're in here. I think it's great to give our people time off. And so, I think it's good for our kids, kids to hear this too. Amen? Because our kids are good at keeping us accountable, aren't they? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, the stories I could tell. All right, so three things, three strategies I want us to look at in how we build small groups, how we connect this idea into our own lives. One is that we table well. You know, food is essential to life, and it's natural to creating community. So can we be a people who use our table as a bridge to restoring lives and building up the church? Can we use our table as a bridge in restoring broken lives and building up the church? Here's how we do this. One, I think there's a spiritual application to this as well as a physical application. When Jesus called Matthew in the Gospel of Mark, 
it says that they were at his home reclining. There were several times Jesus was in people's homes teaching the Scriptures, but here he's reclining. The, go- the Gospels in Matthew opens up with a, a, a wedding feast in Canaan where they're at a home and Jesus is at a party. In fact, the Pharisees often criticized Jesus because he was seen at a lot of parties. You see, there's a spiritual application to this as, a, as well as a physical directive. I think, too, that this also involves us looking to the natural rhythms of lives and letting them be the road upon which the Holy Spirit works. So often we, we want to look to an organized event or a planned moment in which God moves, and so many times he wants to use the natural rhythms of your life to move and work. If you've ever committed to sharing the gospel with someone, you've probably seen this happen. I remember so many times as, uh, as a young man, um, I had some well-intended people who wanted to teach me about evangelism. And I remember the first time anybody ever took me to go witnessing, we went to um, the part of town where I've never been before. Um, the cops hardly go. And things don't happen well down there. And fortunately for me, it was during the daylight. And I remember we knocked on the first door. And we were met with a gun. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know if this is for me. And so we we departed quickly, you know, peace be with you. And we go to the next house, and I remember knocking on the door. No response. Knocked on the door. No response. In fact, the door was open. We were kind of knocking on the screen door. And there was a lady sitting like five feet from the door, just kind of knocked. And then all of a sudden she turned and looked at the door, and I remember her screaming because <laughs> we had scared her apparently. And so this is my experience into evangelism, and I, that kind of like scarred me, you know what I mean? And so I was like, maybe we should do it a different way. I don't know. I didn't like having a gun in my face. And I just began to wonder, God, is there another way maybe that we can do this that's different? Not that that's wrong or right, but different because that didn't fit with me. And I began to learn that God often used the natural rhythms of my life. I remember uh, as a young man when God had captured my heart that I just, I just started hanging out with my buddies. I'm like, hey man, let's just, I don't know. We started a Bible study. We didn't call it a Bible study. We just gathered at a guy's house and we just talked. We just were guys hanging out and the God got brought up so many times. And I remembered so many times that the door would knock. This happened about five different times. The door knocked, and we opened the door, and it's a guy I'd never seen before, and he goes, hey, I heard you guys have a Bible study here. Sure, come on in. We're like, man. So we'd be sitting there, and all of a sudden, the guy would get saved that night. I'm like, man, that's pretty cool. So we'd go on a few more nights, and maybe a month would go by, another knock at the door. We open the door, we'd be like, God, never seen before. Hey, I heard you guys have a Bible study here. Come on in. And we'd share the Lord, and the guy would get saved right there in the living room. And this happened about five different times, and I'm just like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I don't know if you've had moments like that, but what that taught me is that there are moments that God are using, and if we will jump into those moments, he will do something great. But often we think that outreach and ministry has to be something that's planned. 
When it can be simple as a bunch of people getting together and God going, great, you're over there, you're on fire for me, you're talking to me, I'm going to send somebody to you. I don't know, I kind of think of it like the book of Acts where Philip's just kind of walking around and he sees a eunuch over there and he's like, God's like, go talk to him. So he goes, talk to him. I mean, it's as simple as those things sometimes, but yet we want to overcomplicate it. We want to try to take ourselves very seriously and go, oh man, I've got to study and do this and get all my X's lined up and my, my everything in a row. But you know what? People are hungry for authentic community. They're starving for it. They're desperately hungry for it. Church, we've got the greatest sense of community here. We've got the greatest gift. So what does this look like? What would I ask you to do? I'd ask you to share a meal with someone. It's very simple. Open your table up. Share a meal. Maybe your house isn't quite ready for it. Go out to eat. Maybe you don't ever cook. Maybe there's somebody you take out to eat. Maybe you schedule something at a park. Maybe you look on the calendar for the downtown festivals and you say, hey, why don't you meet me down there? Let's hang out. You see, because the thing is, is it's not about what we do. It's about are we taking anybody along the journey with us? Is there anybody that you're taking on your journey? So I would ask you to table well. The second thing I'd ask you is to gather often. And what does this look like? This looks like be present, be available, be willing for God to use you. You see, relationships create windows into the circumstances of of the lives around us. So can we as a church build relationships? Can we pray with others and share how the gospel is a personal story in our lives? I think these are very simple steps. I think these are very easy things. I think they're hard, though, because they require us stepping outside of ourselves, don't they? I think it's a little inconvenient sometimes. It is. But the beauty is, is so many times as I've done this, I've seen God show up and move in powerful ways. So what does this look like? I would say this, pursue people. Find one person. Find one person and go after them. Find one person and invite them along on your story. Find one other couple. Two, I'd say be creative. It doesn't have to look like any specific thing. If, if you like to go out to eat, then invite other people to go out to eat with you. If you like to cook at home, invite people over to enjoy it. If you like to play golf, take somebody to play golf with you. Well, maybe they've never played. Then teach them. Maybe they don't have clubs. Find them a set of clubs. I remember as a a young youth pastor, um, I had met this guy in the church, and he was always inviting me to play golf. And I was like, man, I don't even have any clubs. Like, how am I going to go play? Like, I got rid of my clubs a long time ago. And it was funny. Like, the next week at church, he shows up with a bag of golf clubs. He goes, let's go play golf. (laughs) How can I say no? (laughs) if you like to go fish, take someone with you. You know, I'll say this about men. Um, This is one thing I think I've learned about men over the years. Um, I'm not a big fan of the Saturday morning brunches. Again, I'm weird. I get it. Um, And I think of things differently. 
So I've never been a big fan of the Saturday, Saturday morning breakfast because I'm thinking Saturday mornings is my day I get caught up around the house, right? And if I go to a breakfast, I'm done by noon. By noon, football starts. I may or may not watch it, probably watch it. It's too late in the day to get anything started, right? Like that's how my mind thinks. And so, I, you know, I often think, well, how do, what's a good way to reach men? If you have a heart to reach other men, let me challenge you in this. There's three easy ways to get a guy to talk. One, turn out the lights. I'm just serious. It works. Two, build a fire. You put a bunch of guys around a fire, and they will talk. They will tell you their whole life story. You build a fire. The third thing, put a tool in their hand. If a guy is working, he will talk. Have you ever been on a construction site? Those guys just all day long. I'm like, how do guys talk so much? I think it's very simple. If you have a heart for men, find one of those three things and do it. I promise you guys will talk. Do this. Be a person who's devoted to building relationships. It is easy, it is easy, easy to be done at work, to go home, pull in the driveway, put the door down, and lock yourself in your house. It's easy. It's easy to steal away in our castles. The fourth thing I'd say with that is I challenge you to pray with people. And I know people will tell us and we'll be like, yeah, I'll pray with you. No, like, stop right now and pray. Like, stop right then and there and pray. I'll take you back to Acts 2, 42, where we started. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread in their homes, and prayers. I think we people who believe in prayer, but we don't believe in prayer. I mean, if we're honest, right? I'd say, do you believe in prayer? Yes. When was the last time you prayed with someone who said, man, this is going on in my life? When was this last time you stopped and said, well, can I pray with you right now? I mean, it'll freak people out, trust me. Especially if you're in a public place, people are like, uh, what? <laughs> it'll freak them out. But so many times afterwards, like, man, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So here's what I would ask. Table well. Number two, gather often. And three, take God seriously. You see, we do that by being generous. Reflecting the person and nature of Christ is essential to Christian maturity. If you want to know what Christian maturity looks like, it's a person who reflects the character and nature of Christ. So let us walk humbly with God and build relationships through reconciliation. You know, it's easy to take ourselves serious, but are we willing to take God serious? Are we willing to be passionate about grace? Do we make a big deal of God's never-ending, unchanging, ever-chasing-after-you, unrelenting love? 
Do we make it easier for others? Do we make it harder? You know, that's one thing that's really stuck out to me in the book of Mark is that he creates this parallel contrast between the Pharisees and then the disciples of Jesus. And the difference is the Pharisees make it hard for people. The disciples are constantly opening the doors for people. Do we forgive quickly? And can we be a champion for reconciliation and unity? Those are three simple things, and I think they're very simple. But yet I think they're, they require us to be intentional about doing them, don't they? As I look across this room, I'd have to say, I think everyone can do this. I think everyone can begin to step into this in a small way. It doesn't have to be huge. I'm not asking you, can you take 50 people into your home? That's a huge request. But to say, can you open your table to another couple? Maybe that, two, that one couple becomes two couples. Maybe the two couples becomes four couples. Maybe you have so many people in your house that you've got to look at one of them and go, okay, why don't you take those and go to your house? You see, because success, I think, with small groups doesn't look like we have 100 of these or 1,000 of these or 2,000 of these. That's not what I think success looks like. What I think success looks like, are we winning the loss? Are we discipling the found? Are we mending the broken? Are we sending the whole? If you ask me what success looks like, five churches in five years, that's what success would look like to me. This is a church that has constantly been sending people. And it hurts us, doesn't it? (laughs) We feel the effects of sending people. But as I look at the book of Acts, God built the church And then he scattered the church. Guys, we can come in here and get built, but we've got to be scattered. There has to be a scattering of which we go. Now, I would say kind of in closing, if Brooke, you'll come up. I I would say in, in kind of in closing this. I'm hoping that God has been stirring this in your heart. I don't want to make this just a request that you go, okay, I'll do it because it's my duty. No, I, I, I don't want that. Maybe that's what you have to do to get to where it's actually something you want to do. Maybe you kind of have to force yourself there a little bit or step out a little bit where you're uncomfortable. Maybe that's the thing. But I'm really hoping that there are people in this room that God has just been stirring this in your heart. And actually, to be honest with you, as I've been talking to several of you, I hear several of you have already saying that. Yeah, God's already been stirring this. I'm so glad we're doing this. I'm so glad that this is something our church is putting its efforts into. Because this is something we hunger for if we're really serious. Isn't it, guys? Hopefully, this is something you hunger for. And hopefully, this is something you'll step out and do. And so if, if this is stirring in your heart, I would ask that you join me in the grill starting next year. I would say, let's talk about it. Let's, let's see what this looks like. Let's lay it out. Let's encourage one another. The biggest thing I'd love to see happen on that day is that we get together and we pray about this and that we launch this out in what God wants to do. Amen? Not that we just create another idea and say, God, would you bless it? But that we go, God, what are you doing that I can be a part of? God, what are you stirring that I can jump into? God, what are you already actively doing that I could engage in the work of? And this is the other thing I would say. 
If this is you and this is stirring in your heart, would you come down here? I want us to pray together. Come on, if this is you, you say, I, this God has just been stirring this in me and this right here is exactly what I'm hearing. Come on down. Because I think this is part of us taking God seriously. And maybe this is a big step of faith for you. That's fine. I get it. I understand what a big step of faith looks like. But you feel God's been stirring your heart to jump in. Come on. It's funny, this is probably a 10-year journey for me that I've been on. Me and Brooke left a full-time ministry position because we felt God stirring something different in our hearts. We sold everything. We moved across country to go be a part of a church plant that was built on the idea of small groups, small communities. Man, and the things I learned in those moments and in those times and the deepest thing I think that sat with me in all this though is that we, do we really believe in the power and the work of the Holy Spirit? Are we simple enough to believe that if we will gather together, God will show up? That's what I mean by taking God serious. He said, if two or more gathered in my name, then I will be in their midst. That's what I want to ask us right now, that, that God would do that, that his Holy Spirit would show up. So, Lord, I do. I pray tonight, this morning, God, over these that have stepped forward. God, you burn into this in their hearts, and I thank you for it. So, Holy Spirit, make us foolish enough to believe that you are who you said you are that you can do everything you said you can do and you can show up in the simplest of moments and do the biggest things. God, that you could show up in broken places and bring healing. God, that you can show up in destitute moments, God, and bring life-sustaining, life-giving power. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you built your church. The apostles didn't build the church. The disciples didn't build the church. The people didn't build the church. You built your church. So God, I ask, would you do that in this midst, among these hearts? Would you stir it even deeper and stronger and greater, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all stand with us. You're good. Right before we dismiss in prayer, I'll tell you a very quick 30-second story that summarizes this. As you know, Brother Joel, I mentioned him earlier, Joel Hickox. We've not had a finer man in, in our church. I mean, just the best of the best. And, you know, he was terminally ill for quite a while. But I remember the day they called and said, you know, this, this could be the day. We had a couple of those, but so pastor comes like, you know, see, that's why many churches hire that guy 
so they don't have to. So pastor shows up and the house is full of his small group. Brother Eddie's Sunday school class. Roland, Keith, Dave DePonzio, and a crowd had just left. Just 15 or so people organically that do life together. And it was very, uh, I was so aware that I was welcome, but not, it wasn't necessary. You know what we want? We want to be known by 500 people when we come on Sunday, but don't let 30 people know us. That's immature. That's middle school peer pressure. So this is when Wade has took the last four weeks, just what he's been doing is just stirring soup. You know, like the soup buffet, it gets that thin crust on the top. We're just stirring, just stirring. We want this to be organic, but we, we, we have to share our life outside of this huddle. We have to be aware that we need one another. When we started our men's group up here, I had a couple people kind of, a couple guys look at me sideways. I said, I'm, I'm not coming. Why wouldn't you support us? It's not that. But we want you to come. It's just I knew something from ministry that they didn't know. When I show up, the dynamic changes. And all the guys are quiet and they look at me. And I'm thinking, you have twice the heart I have. You got twice the history, twice the... And it wasn't that I wasn't welcome. It's that in smaller settings, the quiet person will speak up. The hidden person will step forward. The bruised person will open up. And we don't have to have clergy, if you will. No separation. I loved it when I went to Joel's house. I wasn't pastor. I was just his brother. And all around him. That's where we're heading in the coming year. And the Lord will show you. You might be a host. You might be a co-host. You might be a part. But I, I'm a, I'm a, I try to leave you with something just to kind of stick in your craw and make you a little uncomfortable. Sunday morning is when we hug you. Home groups are when you hug back. Be a part. Just a part. However much that means. Because you are the key to someone. You are the wavelength to someone. You are the connector for someone. In the same way the Lord placed me here for you, He's placed you there for them. Father, as we go into this year, we want to say thank you for our many, many, many blessings. Thank you for touching Pastor Wade's heart as he unfolded, unfolded the last five or six weeks at different times through Mark, the necessity of having a table for others, having a home for others. Would you quicken us, convict us, encourage us to prioritize our schedule that we would do ministry first to our family and then to others above pleasures and hobbies. Help us make room for the people. And may your glory fill our gatherings when we break bread, recline, pray, study, and just do life together. For the glory of your Son, we pray.
And all of God's people said, amen. Have a wonderful year, end of the decade. Y'all better be ready. We're coming fully loaded next year. You ready for this? Praise the Lord.